Okay, guys, we're going to wrap up our whole series on the end days. We're going to wrap it up because, frankly, the last four weeks have been a real bummer. I mean, it's a really a downer to look at the end times. It's depressing to look at what is going to happen in the future of the human race. But as John and I were talking about today, so much of what we just read about in the book of Revelation, so much of what we just saw is happening around us. All of that chaos, all of that disorder, all of that death, all those things that are happening in our oceans and in our skies, they are very real and they are very imminent. But I want to turn our attention away from that. I want to take you back to the end of the war, 1945. It's Times Square. A young sailor has come back from fighting in the Philippines, and he is with a date in Times Square. They look up on the sign, and they see that the war is over. It's VJ Day. Everything has ended. He no longer goes back to the ship. He no longer goes back to war. His time of peril is over. Looking across Times Square, he sees a young woman that he believes to be a nurse. She's actually a dental assistant, but he thinks she's a nurse. He's just seen fighting in the Philippines. He saw what the nurses did. He rushes over. Now, this is not his date, by the way. He rushes over. He grabs her, swings her under his arm, and kisses her. It just so happens that someone caught that picture, that moment in time, and it got splashed onto Time magazine and became the famous picture of the end of the war. The funny thing is, if you look in the back of the picture, you may have never noticed it, but there's a young woman behind them. He's kissing her, but behind him is his date, who is about to become his wife. And she is cracking up, laughing, and smiling uh, one, because they just came out of the bar, but two, because it was the end of the war and she understood his exuberance. That picture typified a moment in U.S. history when all that tension broke, all that horror ended for so many people, especially a sailor who had just come back from the Philippine Seas. We're going to look today in a book that nobody ever goes to. So you're going to have to go to the Old Testament, find the book of Zephaniah. Wow. Talk about a book you never visit ever. Zephaniah. Not Zechariah, the other one, Zephaniah. So find Zephaniah chapter 3. Why are we going to Zephaniah chapter 3? Why not Revelation? Because I want to talk about what happens when the war is over. What happens when that news is splashed, the war is over, there's going to be no more death, no more misery, no more separation. All of those terrible things that happened in World War II are done. They are over with. What happens when the war is over? Life will begin again after Jesus Christ comes back and ends the seven years of the tribulation. There will be 1,000 years of peace under the reign of Jesus Christ. I want to look at what those days will look like. I want to look at four promises, four promises that God gives us in the book of Zephaniah as to what will be in those days when the war is over. So we are in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. First promise you see, there will be purity of speech. There will be purity of speech. Zephaniah 3, 9, for I will restore pure speech to the people so that all of them may call on the name of Yahweh and serve him with a single purpose. Can you imagine if every child of God could call upon the given covenant name of Yahweh, call upon the name which God gave himself 
on Mount Sinai, and they would be of one mind, one heart. We talked earlier that our convention is divided on political lines. There will be no politics when Jesus Christ comes back. Can you imagine that? There will be no Baptist, no Presbyterian, no Lutheran, no Episcopalian, no Catholic, just the people of God. What an amazing thing. Not separated by all the nonsense that separates us today. Now that's not going to happen until Jesus Christ comes back to begin his millennial reign, but it will happen. It's a promise. It's written down. It is so. It says this, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my supplicants, those who worship me, those who call on me, my supplicants, my dispersed people will bring an offering to me. On that day, you will not be put to shame because of everything you have done in rebelling against me. For then I will remove your proud, arrogant people from among you. You will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. All the arrogant, all those who fight against God, all those who proclaim religion in their own name for their own ends, they will be gone. Those of us who gather together in the shadow of the Almighty, we will experience a unity of heart that we've never seen since the first century. How great will it be to stand in a place where everybody's speech is about the glory of God, where everybody speaks out all of those things. What will it look like? It looks like Psalm 51, 10 through 13. Psalm 51, 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, a washed heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. All of us know what it's like to have a wrong spirit in us. We get angry, we get frustrated, we lash out, either at the government or at family, at friends. I mean, unfortunately, uh, and I will say this because I'm a guy, guys can tend to lash out, and the people they lash out against are the people they love the most. Can I get an amen, guys? Let's be honest. Come on. We come in, we're frustrated, we're upset. Our wife says something kind, sweet, wonderful, and we explode like a volcano. The world gets on us. The world tears us up. The world makes us angry, and unfortunately, that wrong spirit can come out, that bitter spirit. It has nothing to do with the person you're exploding against. It has to do with all the people who have given you a horrible day. I've watched my daughter go to work, and she'll have 10, 20 good people. She'll answer maybe 50, 75 phone calls a day, plus the other things she has to do. One person can call, be demeaning, demoralizing, can blame her for something that is not her responsibility, and I can watch my daughter's face go from joy to just anger and frustration and downcastness. One person can destroy your mood. But on this day, we will, we will cry out to the Lord, take away all of anger, all of the frustration, all of the resentment, all of those things that no longer matter because now we are one people. Now we are just one person. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Notice, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. When we get angry, when we get upset, when we become downcast, you know what we've done? We have forgotten the goodness of God. We have forgotten the grace of God. We have forgotten the mercy of God, the blessings of God. It's easy in the midst of that moment 
to not see the 10,000 blessings you have, but to see the one thing you don't have. Or to see that one person who came into your life, wrecked your mood, and tried to destroy you for that day. And so we lose sight of all of this good, goodness and we just focus on the one negative thing. That's why the psalmist says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. The joy that only comes from your presence in my life. So how do we react to that? What will those thousand years look like when he has restored that right spirit? I'll tell you. So end, it's verse 13 of uh, Psalm 51. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Sinners will return to you. See, when God restores us, we become teachers. We become those who teach the world how to deal with adversity, how to deal with pain, how to deal with suffering, how to deal with sadness. We are teachers in that we teach those around us that Jesus Christ makes a difference in our lives. Amen? The world will have just come through seven of the most horrible years in the history of the human race. Now we are going to help people come out of that horror, come out of that darkness, and find the joy of the Lord. That will be our job. We will be teachers. You see, the scripture says what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You find someone who is nothing but negative, nothing but critical, nothing but angry or frustrated, then there is no abundance of the heart. Now, believe me, um, I used to play in the creek down by my grandparents' house or down in the creek, as it were, back in the day. You go down there and the water's running just fine. So you know what you do? You build a little dam. Why you build a little dam? To catch all the crawdads because they get stuck on the other side of the little dam. You know, they can't get through. And you dam up that water and you can dam it up and it can build up pretty high. That's what happens when you let anger and frustration and sin and stuff creep up into your life. It builds a dam and the joy stops flowing. Not just for you, but for everybody else. Remember, you're supposed to be a river of living water that flows out to people around you. Husbands, we are supposed to be the river of living water for our families. We are supposed to be the ones that bring that joy. Um, you know, I was watching people during the recent storms and the, the water was backing up and flooding. You know why? Because the proper channels were blocked with leaves and grasses and all kinds of stuff. So people were out there with hose and they were trying to pull all of the debris out of the way so the water could flow the way it's supposed to. Amen. Then the water flows. It doesn't back up and flood stuff. See, when, when our heart gets backed up, it floods all of that nastiness into all parts of our life. So you see, the first promise God has in Zephaniah is in that day, my people will have a pure speech, a speech that only praises my name. Second thing you will see, there will be humility of heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I know some pretty arrogant people. People that think they are self-made, self-important, and self-knowledgeable. They think they have got it all, done it all, seen it all, been it all, and they got a bell buckle to prove it. You know the kind of people I'm talking about, don't you? Just stuck-up, arrogant people. In this day, there will be no arrogance because everybody will see themselves as they truly are. Zephaniah 3.12, I will leave a meek and humble people among you, and they will take refuge in the name of Yahweh. The remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths, but they will pasture and lie down with nothing to make them afraid. You see, when we have Christ as our protection, we don't have to be afraid. 
the world is a scary place, and can I get an amen? I work in the third ward. That's scary. And at night, it's even scarier. But the thing is, you don't have to be afraid. You got to be smart, people. You got to be cautious. You got to pay attention to where you are, what you're doing, and what time of night it is. As my mama always said, when it gets dark, you got no business being outside. Because there ain't nothing going on in the dark that should be going on. Because you should be inside where there's light. That's how my mama thought. Anyway, if you think about this, we will have a humble heart. We will recognize who God is. We will recognize his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. We all need that forgiveness every day. Amen. See, the proud man doesn't seek forgiveness. The proud man says, I did what I did, and that's all there is to it. That's a proud man. That's an arrogant man. But the humble man says, you know, I stand here, but by the grace of God. The old saying, you know, you see someone who's homeless, you see someone who's hurting, someone who's addicted, who's a drunk, and you go there, but by the grace of God, what? Goes me. We all need to recognize it's only God that gave us what we have and made us who we are. Amen. Isaiah 50, 9 and 10 builds on that idea by saying this, Behold, the Lord Yahweh helps me, and who will declare me guilty? See, who's going to say I'm guilty? Because God is the one who's with me. Behold, all of them will wear out like garments. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears Yahweh and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. So even in the dark times, even the terrible times, even the times when we are kicking ourselves for the way we behaved, the things we've done, we all have those times. We all have those times and we sit down and go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why was I part of that mess? There's a lot of people out there right now who should be kicking themselves going, what are we doing talking politics when we should be talking Jesus? That's going on right now. So he says this, that humility of heart puts us back in the place where we can see who God is. When Jesus Christ comes back to sit in the temple, to reign as God for 1,000 years, everybody who sees him will be humbled, and the humble will take cover underneath his wings. We will take protection from that cleft in the rock, and that is the truth. So that's two things that he's promised for the end days. Yeah, those seven years are going to be horrible, but look at the blessing after. Third thing he promises is this, loud rejoicing. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been to a country and western concert, but it can get loud. If you haven't been to a country and western concert and you've been to a rock and roll concert, thank you, Ozzy Osbourne, it gets loud. And that's just how it is. Why? Because people are celebrating. They're having a great time. You know, New Year's, New Year's Eve, you know, you go to Times Square and there's all these people screaming and yelling, hooping and hollering. And that's why, because they're rejoicing. Well, when Jesus Christ comes back, we're the ones who are going to rejoice. Zephaniah 3.14, sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. Man, what better reason is there to rejoice? We talked about that young man who, who grabbed what he thought was a nurse and gave her a big kiss right there at the end of the war. He was just overcome with the emotion of the moment. But you see, every Sunday, every morning that we rise up and look out and we see the sun and we see the sky and we hear the birds, we can shout loudly, our God is good. 
Our God is gracious. Our God is amazing. Every time someone says, how are you doing? Well, you know, uh, my back could be better. My knees could be better. But God is still good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Do we rejoice as loudly about Jesus as we do on those rare occasions when the Texans win? Do we shout as loudly for the Lord as we do for the Astros? Do we praise as mightily for any time we're in church, any time we're singing or praising? Do we do that the same way we do at some political rally or, or some street festival? I wonder what would happen. I mean, I always said before, and I mean, you, you see a bunch of guys that go to a football game and they rip off their shirts and they paint their body one color and the other color and they're screaming and yelling and hooping and hollering. You break those men to church and they're like, it's crickets. You can't hear nothing because they're sitting there half asleep. If we worship the same way that we go to football games or basketball games or baseball games, if we worship like that, church will be an exciting place. Amen. Except keep your shirts on because this is not a football game. Okay. I'm just saying. We rejoice loudly. Keep going with Zephaniah 3. He has turned back your enemy. The king of Israel, Yahweh, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. Yahweh, your God, is among you, a warrior who saves. If you think God is a nice old grandpa who sits in a chair and sits back and winks at sin, you are wrong. Remember, God is a God who said, rides the chariots of the winds. Thunder and lightning precede him. Israel could not go on the mountain of God when God was present because so powerful was his presence. It scorched the mountain from the outside in. that The rocks trembled at the sound of his voice. When, when the archangel comes and when Jesus says, come up here, and the graves explode and the bodies come out. Well, not the bodies, but, you know, spiritually speaking, of course. When all that happens, that's the power of our God's voice. That's the power of our God who calls. I don't know why Christians feel so weak and defeated all the time. I, I see Christians on TV and they go, well, yeah, I believe in God. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, yeah, we, we think there's hope for the world. Wine, wine, wine. I just want to grab them and go, what kind of God are you serving? Are you serving this God? This God who says, don't be afraid. I will be victorious. I am the warrior who leads. God is not just a shepherd. He is a mighty man of war. He will deliver us from all those problems. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will bring you quietness with his love. He will delight in you with shouts of joy. Whenever I read this, I, I think about weddings. I think about what it's like when you say I do and you turn around, you go up that aisle and your friends are screaming and yelling and throwing things at you. Uh, hopefully not shoes because I've got some odd friends, but there you go. They're throwing rice and you know, burn seed and stuff, and people are having a great time. They are rejoicing because you are entering that new stage of life. When we see our king, it's a new stage of life. It's a new life altogether, and there will be power and joy in that. Psalm 32, 1 and 2, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This does not mean you are innocent. This means that God, by the mercy of Christ, has declared you innocent. He has seen your rap sheet. 
He has seen what you are guilty of. And for the blood of Christ, he has erased the whole thing and he no longer holds you guilty because Christ paid the price for your sin. Do you realize that? You don't have to be under the weight of any mistake you ever made any time. We have all done and said and been in places that we would rather forget. Can I get an amen? We would love to wash away part of our past. Yeah, I got a couple decades in there I'd like to get rid of. Mostly the 60s and 70s, but that's okay. We want to get rid of those things, those memories. But you know what? Who is it that delivers us? Who's going to hold us guilty for that in heaven? No. Our God has erased everything that was said and done. And we are so grateful to him that he has erased all of those sins, all of those mistakes, all of those things that we did. They are no longer held against us. What weight do you have burning you? What weight holds you down from jumping and rejoicing and serving God? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. We are forgiven. We're free. We've been set free. And we need to live like that. That's what life will be like in the millennium. After the tribulation, in those thousand years, people will be free to rejoice in the God of their salvation. Last thing I want you to see is this. The last of the four promises, there will be a restoration of the scattered sheep. I'm going to repeat what I said before. The people of Israel are still the people of God. The church did not replace them. Now, that, that foolishness has been around for a couple centuries, but it's not true. The Jews are still the people of God. Jesus was still a Jew. He is coming back to the Jews in Jerusalem to reign from the Jewish temple. We are that wild grape that has been sifted in, has been implanted, has been cut into the vine of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we now draw our life from that root from that root that is in Jesus Christ. The restoration of the scattered sheep. Zephaniah 3.18 I will gather those who have been driven to the appointed festivals. They will be a tribute they will be a tribute from you and a reproach on her. Yes, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather the scattered. There's that picture of sheep again. The, the, the lame sheep, the scattered sheep, those who have been driven away, those who had been born into the people of Israel but had been scattered throughout the world and had lost track of who they were and what was their rightful inheritance. The tribulation is to call back the people of God, to call back the Jews to their Savior. I will make those who were disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at the time, I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, Yahweh has spoken. That means this cannot be changed. This cannot be undone. This future, this promise cannot be undone. He will restore the people of Israel to their proper place as the people of God. Remember, the church has already been lifted out of the world. We're already gone. We're already with the Savior. Those who are born again during the tribulation, they will have their place because all those that's all those souls underneath the altar who are crying out for vengeance for what's been done to them. 
but he will restore Israel. He will restore the Jews to their proper place as he promised he would, as he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Matthew 18, 12 through 13. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, Israel, and does he not leave the ninety and nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety nine that never went astray. God is still seeking to redeem lost men. Jesus Christ will not come back until the last of the Gentile harvest is over. Then he will return. Then in those seven years, he will begin to reap the harvest of Israel. You got 144,000 evangelists that will be out there beating the bushes, trying to bring people back to the Lord. That's their job. Our work will be done. Our work will be finished. We'll be done for those seven years, and then we'll come back to reign with Christ and do whatever he tells us to do. What is the effect of this cleansing judgment? What is the effect on everything? Here's a great line. Those who have been filled with sorrow, who have borne the burden of reproach for God, shall be comforted. Every Christian who was ever put down, every Christian who was ever insulted will be comforted. Every Jew who comes back to faith in Jesus Christ, who makes him their Messiah, who puts their trust in him, they will suffer during the tribulation, but they will be comforted. Even the halt and exiled shall participate and become a name and a praise. The captives would be liberated and the dispersed would be gathered home. That's how one author recapped this whole passage. We went through the time of the tribulation. We went through the ride of the four horsemen. Remember, they all come out together and they do their damage. If you look at the world, we're setting perfect for the ride of the horsemen. So what do we do? We remind people that terrible times are coming, but on the other side of those seven years, there are these four promises a people of pure speech, humble of heart, who rejoiced loudly in the joy of their salvation and the restoration of the scattered sheep of Israel. This is the goodness. This is the bright silver lining of the storm clouds of the tribulation. And I want us to always remember that this is the ultimate goal. When you go into school, when you go into first grade, when, you, when you're going on your bachelor's or your master's, when you're going out in the world to get a job and to start this new stage of your life, okay, it can seem like storm clouds out there. It can seem like, oh my gosh, I'm done with this part of my life. What does the rest of it look like? I promise you, this is on the other side of the storm clouds. This is what God has for those who are obedient to him, who cling to him. And even in these terrible days leading up to the tribulation, God still has victory for his church if we stay faithful to the name of Yahweh. Amen? And let's pray. Father God, thank you.